Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. Don't forget, you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 185 of Sorta Awesome. And just a quick reminder, as we're all waiting for spring to show up and thaw us out and warm us up, that if you're doing any spring-inspired shopping these days, maybe you're refreshing your closet with some happy springtime prints, or maybe you're restocking that old cleaning supply cabinet so you can tackle all of that spring cleaning that's waiting for you, we would love to have you use our Sorta Awesome affiliate link when you shop at Amazon. It's super easy to do, and believe it or not, it really does help support Sorta Awesome when you use it. It's so easy. All you have to do is go to SortaAwesomeShow.com slash Amazon. That's going to take you right to Amazon's homepage. You do all of your Amazon shopping just like you always do. And when you check out, Amazon's going to send a few dollars and cents our way. So one more time, when you're shopping Amazon this spring, you can support Sorta Awesome by going to sortaawesomeshow.com slash Amazon. This is episode 185, and you guys, I am so excited about this episode. We've been coming at you weekly for almost four years with all the awesome that you need to know, but believe it or not, there is one really big topic that we have never tackled on this show, and that topic is money. Now, I happen to have here with me today an awesome who really knows her stuff when it comes to personal finance. Kate Nixon Anania is the author of the book, 20s in Your Pocket. It's a personal finance book for beginners. Now, Kate has her master's degree in economics, but before she earned that degree, she graduated from college just a few months before the market crashed back in 2008. She has worked a number of jobs, everything from gardening and tutoring to waitressing, writing educational materials, answering phones, selling dolls, working on a fishing boat, doing data entry teaching. I mean, Kate's experiences are across the spectrum. And throughout it all, her experiences with her own finances taught her how to manage money like a pro. So she currently works as an environmental economic analyst, and she lives all over the country with her husband, her son, and her two rescue kitties. So Kate, hello, and welcome to Sorta Awesome. Hi, Meg. Thanks for having me. We are so excited that you're here. One of our goals at Sorta Awesome is definitely to help our awesomes become smarter in a variety of ways. I know that we are going to walk away from this episode feeling a little bit more confident about our own knowledge about personal finances. And I'm so excited that you're on the show. I have to say, Awesomes, Kate is here because her sister, Laura, who's an awesome, suggested, hey, you know what? We're doing Awesomes Know How this year. My sister, Kate, knows her stuff when it comes to finance. So yay, Laura, for suggesting you. (laughs) She's the best. I'm lucky. So fun. So 
we asked our superstar listener supporters, these are our superstars who are sort of awesome supporters every month. And we have a private Facebook group. And so I went in there and I asked them, guys, when it comes to personal finance, what are some questions that you have that you're kind of always wondering and you'd like to get some feedback on? We have some really fantastic questions on everything from figuring out salary negotiations to what to do about retirement, what to do when you and your spouse or your partner have differing levels of income, how you to make that work. I mean, all kinds of things that a lot of us need to know when it comes to personal finance. So we have so much to cover. We're going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's that moment in the show where we stop and just talk about whatever's awesome in our life right now, whether it's movies or TV shows, podcasts, Netflix binges, products, whatever is making life a little more awesome this week. Kate, I know you've brought something. I can't wait to hear what's awesome in your life right now. I'm really excited to share it. It is my recipe for chickpea flour cookies. Ooh, this sounds very healthy. (laughs) They sound healthy and they are marginally healthier than normal cookies. And they are gluten-free and I don't come from a gluten-free household. We eat lots of wheat flour in my house. So the fact that I endorse these is saying a lot. Awesome. Yes. Let's hear all about it. Okay. So you take the normal chocolate chip cookie recipe that you find on the back of the bag of chocolate chips and you do one-to-one swap of white flour for chickpea flour. And it gives the cookies this like nutty depth of flavor like kind of like a brown buttered nuttiness and it's so nice it's so good yeah so I make them instead of using flour I don't use regular flour in my cookies anymore at all ever I only use chickpea flour oh my gosh this is amazing because first of all even though we're not like a true you know like celiac diagnosed family here all of my children and my husband have a, like a gluten sensitivity, like it's not official, but we do try to avoid gluten whenever we can. But when it comes to baking, it can be so hard to figure out like, how can I make, you know, baked goods that actually taste good? So this is a pretty incredible discovery, I have to say. Well, I promise they are delicious. Okay. And I have a trick for saving money on chickpea flour. Ooh, let's hear it. Tell us all about it. Okay, so most of the time you can find chickpea flour, Bob's Red Mill makes it. So you can find it at health food stores or Whole Foods, but it's very expensive. You can also find chickpea flour at the Indian food store. It's called ah. chana flour. My mother-in-law okay. is Indian, which is how I know this trick. It's called chana flour, and they sell them in large bulk bags, very inexpensively, and it's exactly the same product. Oh my gosh, that is a great tip. We have a lot of different ethnicities in the area that we live in. And I have found that to be such a great tip is to go to a grocery store that's not your regular, you know, big chain store. We happen to have down the street a Vietnamese super grocery store, and you can find the greatest treasures in there. Mm -hmm. So that is such a good tip on the chickpea flour because it is, it's kind of one of those things that's like, Okay. That's the other part of baking gluten-free is, okay, I'm going to have to find a substitution and it's going to probably be expensive. (laughs) 
yeah, this one is a healthier option, even though you're still eating cookies. It does make it better and it doesn't have to be that expensive. So good to know. I love it. Well, I actually happen to have a recipe this week too. I don't bring recipes very often. So you all know that when I actually talk about one as an awesome of the week, it's pretty great. This is a recipe for crispy skin, slow roasted pork shoulder. And it's from a site called rule.me. If you've ever done any kind of sort of low carb cooking or baking, you've probably come across rule.me. They have a plethora of low carb, low sugar recipes there. So I've used this recipe for slow roasted pork shoulder for a long time. And I actually just got it out again. I forgot how good it was. <laughs> they were having a sale on pork shoulder at our grocery store. And I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I forgot about this. So here's the thing about this particular recipe. This is, again, it's slow roasted. So you really need to plan for about nine to 10 hours of roasting time. Now, I will just pop it in in the oven like right before I leave to take my kids to drop off for school and then it will just roast in the oven all day. But an alternative is, again, since that's a lot of time to be in the oven, you could also put it in and cook it overnight. So something to think about. But it's a really great recipe and all you're gonna do is you're gonna open up your package of pork shoulder. You make up a sort of spice mix that's just salt, oregano, pepper, garlic powder, and onion powder. That's it. You mix it up. You're going to pat that spice rub all over the pork shoulder. You put it in the oven. And again, like nine or 10 hours later, you have this amazingly juicy, slow roasted pork. And then the thing to, that they have you do at the very end to get that crispy skin on the outside, because, you know, that's the thing about roasting things, right? Sometimes it tastes really good, but it's just doesn't quite have the texture that you're looking for. Or is that just me? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But you turn the heat on your oven all the way up to 500. You put the pork shoulder back in and let that skin get nice and dark and crispy and brown. And it is so good. And the thing is, one of those pork shoulders is going to make so many meals. You can, of course, eat it fresh from the oven, but you could put it into tacos or you could put it into a soup. I mean, there's going to be so much meat there to feed your family. So if you're looking for something that you don't have to babysit, that you can just pop in at the beginning of the day and then dinner's done by the time dinner time rolls around, this crispy skin, slow roasted pork shoulder is a fantastic recipe to have on hand. So I will definitely put a link in the show notes to this recipe. And then also Kate was talking about with finding our chickpea flour so we can do some delicious gluten-free cookies. That sounds fantastic. So I will put some links in the show notes for you to get more information on that. So those are our awesomes of the week this week. As a reminder, we always want to hear what is awesome in the lives of our awesome community. So every Friday morning over on Instagram at Sword Awesome Show, we ask you all awesomes to come on over and tell us what's awesome in your life. And then in our Facebook group, we've been doing this for years. Every Friday morning, we open up the floor for that awesome of the week thread. It's something I look forward to all week because I am always learning something new from our awesomes in that awesome of the week thread. 
So if you have not found us on Facebook, it's super easy to do. Just search for us on Facebook at the Sorta Awesome Hangout. Hey, awesomes. Let's check in about your fitness goals this year. Was one of your resolutions to not only get in shape, but also discover how strong you actually are? If so, it's a great time to check out Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand is an easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to a wide variety of super effective workouts that you can do from the comfort of your own home 24-7. My husband Kyle and I have loved Beachbody workouts through the years. They are the company behind P90X, 21 Day Fix, Pyo, and more. With Beachbody On Demand, you can work out on your own schedule. They have workouts as short as 10 minutes that don't require any extra equipment. And you can access it anywhere and anytime. Throughout this pregnancy, I have been loving the Beachbody On Demand workout pre- and postnatal yoga with Desi Bartlett. If you're into yoga but you don't need the prenatal flows, Beachbody On Demand also has the three-week yoga retreat where you can master the fundamentals of yoga in your home in just 21 days. And right now, you awesomes are going to get a special free trial membership, including their new 14 days result plan where you can lose up to nine pounds in the first two weeks when you text awesome, A-W-E-S-O-M-E, to 303030. Don't forget you're going to get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information, that result plan to get you super fast results and support all totally free when you text awesome to 303030. Awesome. Let's talk about spring cleaning that's actually kind of fun and definitely something that most of us need to do. Let's spring clean our bra collections. We can do that with the very amazing bra collection at Third Love. I love Third Love. They offer way more sizes than most brands. In fact, they offer more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. With the Fit Finder quiz, you just answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Not only do they take the traditional chest and cup size, measurements, they also ask you to evaluate your breast shape, which totally matters when you're finding the best fit for a bra. And speaking of fit, Third Love offers a 100% fit guarantee. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you just return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. At Third Love, returns and exchanges are free and easy. And I'll tell you what, Awesome's Third Love bras are hands down the most comfortable bra I've ever worn. I love that their straps don't slip and they have those tagless labels with no itching. And just in time for warmer weather, the newest member to the Third Love family is their line of incredibly soft, smooth, and breathable cotton bras. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for every body. So right now they're offering you awesomes 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash awesome now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash awesome for 15% off today. All right, Kate, are you ready? I am. <laughs> we have so many questions to get to that cover a variety of topics when it comes to personal finance. But first, before we get into those, let's talk a little bit about kind of what has inspired your passion for women, personal finance. I mean, not only was it just an interest of yours, but you are so passionate about it that you went ahead and wrote an actual book. You've written the book for us as beginners in personal finance. Again, the name of the book is 20s in Your Pocket, and I will absolutely have a link in the show notes to where you can find Kate's book. Like, how did your life take this particular track? I can't wait to hear this. Oh, I mean, really, the short answer is that I just made a lot of mistakes. Ah, I just had yeah. no idea what I was doing. 
And I was terrified. And I thought, everybody else knows what they're doing. And I don't because I somehow Mm. missed the class, right? I don't know when I was supposed to pick this up, but I somehow missed it. And I was so embarrassed and so intimidated and clueless. I had no idea what to do. And I'm smart. I'm educated. I thought at this stage, you know, I had a college degree when I started getting interested in this. And I thought I should have known this somehow, Mm. but I don't. And so I just made a lot of errors. And then as I was trying to learn what to do to fix those errors, I realized that in the world of personal finance materials out there, first of all, it's not a super interesting subject. So it's pretty (laughs) boring, right? There's nothing out there that's like, here's a really entertaining way to learn about this dry subject. Yeah. So that was one thing that I noticed. Another thing is that I was broke. I graduated in 2008. I couldn't get a job. Mm. I lived in a trailer in rural Alabama for a while. Like I had no money. And so a lot of the things that I would see or a lot of the books that I would read were for people with money. And I was like, well, I have $40. So what do I do with that? I don't have money to invest because, you know, like a fee is $14. So that's like, how am I even supposed to get started? So I very gradually learned. And the more I learned, the more I thought, hey, first of all, this isn't that hard. But why couldn't I find these resources before? And second of all, I started thinking, wow, this is really making me feel empowered that I'm learning how to do this thing that I thought was so hard. It's not that hard, but also I feel so savvy that I can figure this out on my own. And really, I got my first job with benefits with a salary when I was 28. So that was six years of debt and floundering around and low paying jobs and roommates that sometimes were awesome and sometimes were not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cars that broke down, all the problems that you have, right? When you don't have financial stability. And I had learned quite a bit. And then I started my first job with a salary. And I started thinking, well, now I really want to get things off on the right foot. And I started learning about what to do when you actually do have money. So I learned about what to do when you don't have money. And then I learned about what to do when you do have money. And at the time, I was living in an area that was great for my work. I could walk to work, but I didn't have a car. And so I didn't have a way to get around the city. That was very easy. It was kind of a hard part of the city to get around in. And I wanted to volunteer my time, but I didn't have a way to get out easily. So instead I started writing a blog as a way Uh to kind of give back to my community, even though it was just the online community, but it was what I could do at the time. And so I started writing about the things that I'd been learning and the mistakes I've been making. And so that blog is also called 20s in Your Pocket. It's spelled out the word 20s. And it has all sorts of interesting tidbits about some of the errors that I made, some of the stupid expenses I could have avoided, my student loan debt and how I worked on that. A lot of information about managing money and relationships because I started writing the blog right about when I met my boyfriend who became my husband. and. I thought, well, like, how do we do this together? Like we have different financial situations. How do people do this? And when you Google it, there's not a lot of information. Right. It's not a thing. People don't necessarily talk about it very often. 
And that's another thing is that there's a big cultural taboo against talking about money. And so I felt like, why aren't we talking about these things? How am I supposed to learn about them if my friends aren't going to tell me what they're doing? So I am maybe breaking all the social rules, but I talk about money now all the time. I'm really fun at parties. (laughs) You know what, though? Truly, I think it's just like such a vicious cycle because I identify with and relate so much to what you were saying at the beginning that you were wondering, like, how did I miss the class on this? I think every single one of us, at least in this culture, I don't know how, you know, cultures overseas might handle it, maybe better than us. I mean, it wouldn't take much to be (laughs) better than the way our culture handles it. But I also felt that way. Like, how can I hold a college degree? I came from parents who were professionals who also were horrible money managers. And there's like no class along the way to set you out on the right foot with this stuff. And it's so easy to make mistakes just out of sheer ignorance of just like, I didn't know any Mm -hmm. better. And so we feel embarrassed and ashamed of the mistakes we made when we didn't know any better. So then we start to carry a lot of shame about money and our decisions that we've made with our money. And so then we don't talk about it. And then, like you said, a lot of the information is just so dry and unapproachable. And I love this about your book, 20s in Your Pocket, because it's very approachable, very friendly tone. And you really do cover a variety of topics in your book that are like very practical, like about student loans, like about planning a wedding and keeping a budget in mind as you're planning a wedding, but still having a beautiful day or even, you know, any kind of celebration. I mean, it's not just like, here's how you set up a checking account and here's what you need to know about this and that. I mean, you really dig into like, no, really like boots on the ground. What do we need to know about money in our day-to-day lives? And you do it in a way that's really fun and approachable. So fantastic job on that. I will say this much for those of you who have people in your life who are graduating from high school or graduating from college, they're young adults, they're starting out. This book would be such a great gift. I wish I had this book in my hands when I was in my early 20s. Could have saved myself a lot of heartache, Kate. (laughs) That's exactly the goal. And the other thing is that it is targeted at 20-somethings, but it's actually just for people that are beginning. So if you're in your 30s or in your 40s and you're still having trouble making rent and you don't know what a 401k is, it's for you. You know, it's not necessarily limited to the decade that you're living in. Right, right. I really love that. It's true. It it really is a great beginner's guide. That is so true. Okay, well, let's get to some of these questions. Like I said, we've got some that cover the whole spectrum of many questions and many concerns and many worries. So like I said, we opened this up in our Superstars Facebook group to say, hey, who has questions about many? And the questions came rolling in. (laughs) So let's start with this first one from Superstar Elisa. She says that she's curious about your thoughts, Kate, on long-term savings versus short-term savings. She said that they've had several short-term big-ticket savings goals. She and her husband, like saving for a house, maybe a down payment on a house. They also were saving for adoption. These were all expenses early in their marriage. So they have not been great at getting an IRA going or other long-term savings plans going. So she is wondering, how do they kind of like transition? They've accomplished some big 
ticket short-term goals, how do they transition now into some long-term savings? Yeah. So this is a hard one because when you think about what do I want out of my financial life, it's super easy to envision, hey, within five years, I want to live in a house. It is not super easy to envision, hey, when I'm 65, I'm going to need this undefined giant amount of money so that I can like be a grandparent. Am I ready for that? Like it is so far away. And the amount of money that you have to save, or you don't necessarily have to save all of it because a lot of it should be coming out of your returns on investments. But the concept of having to come up with that amount of money is so intimidating and nebulous and undefined that it can be really hard to get over that mental hurdle to get started. Definitely. So what I recommend for actually basically every single thing in your financial life is to set up a plan, set up an account, and then automate that money goes into that account so that you do not have to make the choice every month. You already made the choice and now your bank account automatically moves the money around in line with whatever your choices are, whatever your goals are. That is so smart because sometimes we can have these ideas of like, oh, we can totally put away this much towards this goal. But then when the money's actually just sitting there in your checking account, you're like, oh, what if I borrow a little from that amount to do this instead? And then you never pay that borrowed part back. I mean, I wouldn't know anything about right, that. Right, right. Yeah, no, nobody does that. If you automate it, you take the choice out of it. You take the mental. Yes stress or the mental space of remembering to invest out of the equation. It's You don't have to think about it anymore. It's already happening. The money's gone. You can access it in emergency, but it is not something that you are going to use in another way. Right. Yes. That is so smart. I love that. Just make it automated. It's one less choice to make, one less stress on your plate of stresses to worry about. So yeah, I totally get that. And I actually encourage automation for every single thing in your life, your bills, your savings goals, your retirement goals, anything where you have to move money around every month, automate it so you don't have to worry about it. It gets rid of any chance you'll ever pay a late fee. You've freed up mental space. Yeah, It's really great. It's so great. I'm 41. So I can remember back in the olden days, like when Kyla and I first got married, I remember actually, you know, like writing out checks to the electric company and, you know, write out a check to this and that, find stamps, put it in the mail every month. This was back in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. Now, I mean, so many of our bills are automated that it's like you said, you don't even think about it. It just gets paid. And that is such a luxury, truly. And it protects your credit. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So thank you, Elisa, for that question. And hopefully that is a good start for you guys on getting started on some of this long-term savings that you want to accomplish. Our next question comes from superstar Holly. Holly wants to talk about salary negotiations. This is a huge one that comes up often in our discussions in our awesome community. So Holly's saying like, how do you figure out what you should be getting paid in general? And then also, even if you work a job that's part-time, like, is that something that, are you in a position where you could go in and do some negotiations there? So I know you cover this way more in depth in the book, Kate, but I would love to hear some of your just general thoughts about salary negotiations. This is probably what I feel the most strongly about of all the things I've written about. 
Because if you negotiate your salary, you are not only setting yourself up to do better immediately, but you're setting yourself on a higher income track for the rest of your life. So I've read a study that said that if you negotiate your salary up by $5,000, that is the equivalent of giving yourself an extra half a million dollars in earning in your <gasps> lifetime. Oh my god! And gosh. you're doing the same job. What? Like you're not doing anything differently. And you've just given yourself in a lifetime career an extra half a million dollars. That is amazing. And nobody it ever thinks about so it that way important. for sure. And I think that a lot of times, especially if you need flexibility in your job, women are reluctant to ask for more because they think, well, I have all these requirements. I have to take care of my family and I need this company to be understanding and flexible. So I'm not going to push the envelope because I don't want to lose this opportunity. Uh, but I would yes. like everyone to take a minute and ask, is the work that you do on a flexible schedule any less valuable than a work you would do on a nine to five schedule sitting at a desk? Are you delivering a worse product? Are you not meeting your deadlines? Mm. And if the answer to that is no, which the answer should be no, if you're doing your job well, then your hours that you work should be valued at the exact same rate as someone without the flexibility. So you should not be willing to take a pay cut or undervalue yourself just because the company is offering flexibility. And I know that's a really hard thing to put into practice because you're managing your family depends on your flexibility. I understand that. But if more people demand flexibility in their work lives and their schedules, and they also demand that their time is valued appropriately, then society will change. Slowly but surely, one negotiation at a time. I feel so strongly yes, about it. That's so yeah. true. So the question was, how do you figure out what to ask for in salary negotiation? Mm -hmm. So there are three yes. resources that you can get online and then another resource that is not online. So the first two are kind of social media sites. So it's glassdoor.com. has a lot of really okay. good information about your salary and about other people's salaries in the same job, and also have a lot of regional information, which is helpful. You can also find information within your company. So usually you have to start an account and you have to put in your salary in order to get information about other people's salary, but it's a very useful tool. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like it. That's The second fantastic. one is LinkedIn. It has a similar, almost exactly the same kind of salary comparison feature. And then the last okay. one is called the Occupational Outlook Handbook, which is just generally a really good resource for anyone thinking about careers. It's put out by the Department of Labor, yeah. and it has information okay. about not only salaries, but also projected job growth, the training that you need, the job growth in your specific regional area. It has specific salary and hourly rates by state. So you should be able to tell what's going on. It's a great resource, especially if you're thinking about a career change and you don't really know what the financials are going to look like. You can say, hey, what are the skills I'm going to need? What are the job requirements? And what am I going to make? Is this worth it for me to pay to go back to school or to switch my career when I may or may not already be happy with my finances? That sounds like an incredible resource. It's awesome. Tell us the name one more time. The Occupational Outlook Handbook. 
Outlook Handbook. Okay, you guys. And it's put out by the Department of Labor. Okay, I am definitely going to link to that in the show notes, even though it is an actual physical book that you need to- No, it's not. It's online. Oh, it's all online. Okay. Then definitely this is going in the show notes so that you can check that out. That's amazing. Yeah. That has all been compiled somewhere already. Super helpful. And the last way that you can find out what you should be making is a little less comfortable. But if you have a friend at work, especially a male friend, if you want to work on getting down those gender wage gaps, if you can find out what they're making, yeah, you can know what you should be asking. Okay. And it's actually protected by law that you are allowed to disclose your salary at work. A lot of business handbooks say it's frowned upon, uh-huh. but it is legally protected. So you can always tell anyone what you're making. You cannot tell other people what other people are making, but you can always share what you are making. Okay. Well, thank you for that caveat. I did not even know that was part of the law. So that is super helpful to know. I'm still even just thinking back to what you said about just like having the right mindset of asking, because I do think, and this is where a lot of our discussions in our awesome community, that's kind of what inspires it is we just have a lot of hurdles to making an ask. And so just shifting that mindset and thinking about like the quality of work I do and what level of compensation should I be getting for the work that I do? Like that is so good. And I think that's going to be so helpful for Holly and for all of our awesomes who are listening to really take that leap and make that big ask. So, yeah. And you also, I think a lot of times people undervalue themselves. I think it's a women trait that you undervalue yourself. It's not easy, right? It's a very uncomfortable thing. But I have a story. I have a good friend who was negotiating her salary. She's very good at what she does. And she said, okay, I'm going to ask for $115,000. And she mumbled. Uh And they said, oh, 150? Yeah, we can do that. (laughs) And she said... They just gave me $35,000 that I wasn't even going to ask for. Right. That's insane. (laughs) See, I mean, there is money on the table. Yes. And if you are good at your job, you should be earning that money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's an incredible story. I know. Let us all be inspired by that for sure. My gosh, I love it. Okay. So Superstar. Laura said that she's just kind of wanting to hear from you, Kate, a general overview. What should we be thinking about and planning for? And again, especially because you speak to personal finance beginners a lot, what a lot of us think, okay, I should probably save for retirement. Should I be saving for college for my kids? Like, where do I even start? So I'd love to hear your sort of general thoughts, what we should be planning for and thinking about as we're thinking about our savings. Okay, so the first number one thing that everybody should do because it is free money is if you have a job that offers you a 401k or a 403b, you need to be contributing enough to get the match because that is free money. That's the best financial deal that's out there to be everyone's priority. If you have a job that offers that, that should be number one on your list. You should do that today. Okay, go to your HR department today because it's free money. It's like getting a raise that you didn't have to ask for. That's for sure. Yeah. The next thing that I think everyone needs to do that the government shutdown has taught us anything, it's that people need more emergency funds. And an emergency fund is really intimidating 
because you need three to six months worth of expenses. And that's a lot of money. And that takes a long time to build up. And I think a lot of people think about how big that amount is. And then they think, I can't save that. Yeah. And this is where I say, aha, automation. This is exactly what automation is for. Put a little bit aside every month and stop worrying about it. Mm. That's so good. That's such good advice because it is, that's a big number when you're just looking at it on paper, but you can't let the bigness of the number keep you from taking the first steps to getting it going. So that's fantastic advice. Exactly. And then I do think everyone should be saving for retirement. There's another question coming up about retirement. So I won't go too deeply into that right now. And then finally, if you are in debt, if you are in any sort of debt, come up with a plan for how to pay it down. And a lot of detailed steps about that in my book. But if you're paying interest on debt that you owe, that's money that you could be spending elsewhere. Yeah, those are good. Those are some great starting places. And again, your book really goes into like the practical ways of how to get going. But those are some Mm -hmm. really great starting places for anybody to take up. So All right, next, superstar Katie says that she and her husband make approximately the same salary and they have divided up different household tasks throughout the time they've been married. She takes care of like health insurance, medical appointments, household tasks, but he is the one that has taken over on paying the actual bills, like actually doing the bill paying every month. She said she handed it all over to him and never looked back, but now she's a little concerned about how can they set up a system? So if, you know, heaven forbid something happened to him or there was an emergency, she would have access to all of that. And she even said that he was traveling out of the country and she didn't know how to reach their rental management company because he had all of that information. This is something, it's like the roles are reversed for Kyle and I. I'm the one who has all the passwords, all the accounts, did all the automating So we have a very primitive, rudimentary Google spreadsheet (laughs) that's shared between us that's set up with just different accounts and passwords and stuff. But I'm wondering too, like Katie is, is there a good system if you share bill paying accounts with somebody, how can you make sure that that information is accessible to both partners? So my system is even more rudimentary than yours. (laughs) (laughs) We have one family laptop that both my husband and I have access to all of our accounts Uh and all the passwords are saved in there with keychain access. So nobody even needs to know. But then I thought, well, we put together our will this year because we had a baby. And I thought, well, if my husband and I both die, it's going to be really hard for someone to come in and figure out our financial situation because I have a lot of different bank accounts that I use for a number of different things. Uh Uh-huh. So my finances, our family finances are very complicated because I made them that way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. So I have a piece of paper with all of the accounts everywhere that we have money and also anyone that we owe money to. So like our property management company, I have their information on there. Anyone that we pay bills to just so that in case we were to die, my family would know where it is. This piece of paper is in a folder labeled in case we croak. (laughs) Just in case we're dead, they'll know where it is. And it is hidden in a spot in my house that my family knows where it is. And that's my system. Yeah. 
it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be like this incredible thing. It just means that someone sleuthing around our accounts make it easier for them to be a sleuth, right? Right. And they're figuring it out. Yes. That's such a good idea. That really is. I have talked about on the show in the past that paperwork can be such a problem for me just kind of organizing it. But I have thought about that. Like, truly, I'm the only person here who knows like where copies of the kids' birth certificates are and their vaccination records. And just like, truly, I think we don't even realize, especially if we're wives and mothers and we're running a household, like how much information we kind of hold. <laughs> yeah. That somebody might just need quick access to. So I think that that's fantastic. Even just having in a folder where people can, like you said, at least start the process of kind of following the threads to all the different things that would need to be handled. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Sheet of paper. Yeah. The Google spreadsheet works well for us. I mean, I think it's probably not the most secure thing to do maybe I don't know. <laughs> I like what you said I don't know either. that you guys have accounts with like the keychain passwords in there. That sounds really good. Maybe we need to make some changes there. Yeah, just having a system. I think too I would say to Katie that it doesn't even have to be something fancy. It's just a system that you and your husband both can access even and especially like if it is an emergency and you're feeling kind of panicky Something that is super easy to get to, I think is a great start to getting some of this sorted out. Okay, Awesome's one of my very favorite companies on the planet is back, and that's Lola. Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and all-natural cleansing wipes. I have been a fan and customer of Lola for years. I love that the founders, Jordana and Alexandra, started their company with a simple but seemingly obvious idea. Women shouldn't have to compromise when it comes to feminine care products. They created Lola when they discovered that the FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products. Lola offers complete transparency about the ingredients found in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. Lola's products are 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. And the best part is Lola knows that you know your body best. So Lola gives you four ways to tailor your Lola subscription to perfectly fit your needs. Their subscriptions are fully customizable, so you choose your mix of products, the mix of absorbency, the number of boxes, and how frequently you want it delivered. And their subscription is super flexible. You can change, skip, or cancel your subscription at any time. And right now, you awesomes are going to get 40% off all subscriptions when you go to mylola.com and enter code awesome at 40 when you subscribe. Again, that's 40% off all subscriptions when you go to mylola.com and enter promo code awesome 40, the number 40, when you subscribe. Thank you, Lola. Okay, awesome. Spring is just around the corner, and that means for most families, it's the busiest season of the year. That's why it's time to check out Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Their meal plans include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean, heart smart, lean and clean, keto, gluten free, and omnivore. 
Green Chef lets you choose from a wide array of easy-to-follow lifestyles with select organic ingredients, and their recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along. You can switch up your meal plan whenever you're ready to try a new way to eat. And Green Chef's expert chefs design flavorful recipes for your lifestyle that go way beyond ordinary substitutions. With Green Chef, you can let them do the menu planning, the grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you week after week. My family loves that there's a family carnivore plan, and some of our favorite recipes that we've made together include chicken with apricot sauce and cherry barbecue pork meatballs. They were so delicious, and even my pickiest kids loved them. So awesome! if you're ready to get started, you're going to get $50 off your first box of Green Chef when you go to greenchef.us slash sorta awesome. Again, it's $50 off your first box when you go to greenchef.us Slash sort of awesome. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit. This next question really deals with money in relationship. And again, as you said, you talk about this in your book because I do think, you know, we can Google and look up things that are like, you know, like how do I contribute to my 401k or, you know, various sort of general questions about personal finance. But the reality is, relationships and money, it can always get a little bit tricky, whether you're at the beginning of a relationship or if you've been married for a long time, money can be a little bit of a challenge in relationships. So we have a superstar named Dee who asked about like relationship dynamic wise, how do you deal with a husband who makes significantly less income that you do? It's not on a career track. In other words, not like in school right now, but eventually is going to, you know, bring in maybe a comparable amount of money. Like what does this look like in terms of managing the home and figuring out, you know, kind of who does what, especially if you have kids. Dee was saying that a lot of times moms, women in general, they end up being both the main breadwinner of the family and then also the main like does everything at home kind of person, whether it's parenting or caring for the home, all of those things. And she pointed out, and I think this is so true, that this is a, an issue that women in all stages of life are trying to figure out how to navigate. So I'm just curious, Kate, on a like relationship level, what feedback you would have about that? Yeah. So this is, I think, a big sticking point for a lot of marriages. So the first thing I want to talk about really briefly, because I am not an expert in this, but I found this very helpful. When you're thinking about kind of being overwhelmed with managing a household, there was a real simple article in August of 2018 about how to divide up kind of the mental load associated with managing your household. I'm sure you've heard that term. Kind of the idea that you're the manager and you have to execute, which in a business is not how it works. Right. And Real Simple had this very practical method for talking with your spouse or your partner about who's in charge of what, how happy you are with the situation and how you can make changes. And there's a worksheet in there. There's like a set of tools that you can use with your partner. And I found that very helpful in my household. I actually read the article and was like ready to like talk with my husband and get in a fight about it. And then I read the article and I thought, actually, he takes care of a lot of things that aren't even on my radar. Ah, yeah. yeah. Because they're part of his mental load and not mine. And it because there was a spreadsheet and kind of a checklist that made me go through every single thing that goes into 
taking care of a household, I thought, actually, we don't even have to have this discussion. And so, <laughs> so it kind of lowered my hackles a little bit. Right. And it made me feel like, okay, we actually are where we need to be. But if you're feeling like you're not where you need to be, it has really good steps for how to get where you want to be with your partner. Yes. But I'm not a home management expert. I am a financial expert. So one of the things that goes along when you and your partner have really different finances, when either one partner isn't working and is staying home with the kids or isn't working in school or just doesn't have a career mm-hmm. track that is ever going to be lucrative and the other person is bringing in all the money, there can be a lot of resentment. Yeah. In a marriage, that is bad. Very, very bad. Yeah. Especially when if you're not bringing in income and you're clipping coupons and you know, you're know you scrimping and saving on your household budget as much as you can and then your partner is going out and spending or vice versa, you're staying home with no income mm. and you're buying a new couch and your partner's working so hard and feels resentful that yeah. you're buying everything and they're doing all the work. Either way, anytime there's unequal finances, it can be a recipe for resentment and kind of bad feelings to build up over time, especially if you haven't figured out a way to deal with it. So what I recommend for couples in this situation, actually, I recommend it for anyone. If you earn exactly the same thing, I still think this is a good idea. Okay. So what I recommend is you put all of the income, all of the money into one communal pot. Okay. And out of this pot, you pay for everything that is for the family or for both of you as a couple. So if you are paying for kids expenses or you're redecorating the living room or, you know, groceries, all of the communal expenses should be coming out of this one checking account. And when you're deciding on the system, you need to come up with an amount that you're comfortable with your partner spending without consulting you. So in my Mm. relationship, if I'm spending more than $50 on something for the family, I just run it by my husband. Yeah. Just because it's, you know, it's a polite thing. We're both earning income, but it's both of our money. So yeah, more than $50 and it's not like a grocery bill that we were going to buy anyway, then I run it by him if it's out of the ordinary. Along with that, each of you should have your own private checking accounts. And every month you should get, I call it an allowance, but that bothers a lot of people. So (laughs) you should get an automatic deposit of whatever amount you both agree on. It should be equal for both of you. And that is your personal spending account. This is a very interesting idea. I mean, my husband and I have been married over 20 years. We've always had the communal checking, but we've never done this. I think this could have saved us some heartache along the way. I like Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So anything you buy out of your personal spending account, your partner cannot say anything. If I save up all year and I spend $1,000 on a pair of shoes, my husband can't say anything. Yeah. It's my money that I have decided where it's going. And the same way, I cannot fuss at him if he's buying another video game. I can't. (laughs) Right. Right? Like, that's his money. And we already decided that. He is an adult. He can spend that money however he wants. And this has been very useful in my marriage, but I think it works for a lot of marriages because one of the things you want as an adult is autonomy to spend your money wherever you want to without having to feel like you are reporting to someone, without having to feel like your spending is being watched, but also without feeling guilty about it. Yeah. 
That is so smart. I have to say we've tried a lot of different approaches to like how to have this conversation, how to figure it out, but that's something we've never tried. And I think that could be very helpful for a lot of families. It takes out some of the bad feelings and judgment about the other people's spending habits. Right, exactly. And you know what? I think that even what you were saying at the beginning of kind of talking about this is that when you're talking about mental load and figuring out who does what, that truly at the heart of a lot of these tensions in relationship is this resentment that builds up. Some of it is tied directly to money, but some of it is you just feel like you can't communicate all that you're responsible for and all of this. And so I do think a thing where we just don't talk about it and it builds up and builds up. So it may even be something that, you know, you might have a third party, whether it is an actual counselor or somebody else who can kind of listen and help you sort through some of that stuff when it comes to the practicalities of who does what and help you kind of untangle those resentment things. So, okay. Well, our next question from Anna actually is kind of a little bit of a spin on this idea when you have one partner or spouse who works and then one person does not currently bringing in an income and maybe never is going to, whether it's a stay-at-home parent or just for whatever reason, then what do you do to prepare for retirement when you're working with one person's income? I'm so glad you asked this because this is my favorite, favorite financial tool. Okay. So most people have heard of a 401k, which is a work-sponsored retirement. Yes. Which we have here in the US and maybe under different programs or ideas or letters or numbers or whatever in different countries. But yeah, here in the US, a 401k. Right. But if you don't have a job, you don't get offered that. That's right. Or if you don't have a job with benefits, it's an option for you. But every single person who pays taxes in the US can have something called a Roth IRA, Uh which is an individual retirement account. Yes. Yes. And actually, I just said every single person, but if you make over 122,000 filing singly, or if you make over 193,000 filing as a couple, you have to use a traditional IRA, which is a different type of taxation, but still a way to save for retirement on your own. Okay. So a Roth IRA is one of the best things. Oh, also if you pay taxes and so this includes teenagers. So if you have a teenager who's working, who is not an adult yet, they can also open up a Roth IRA. Oh my gosh. It is one of the smartest things you can do if you are a parent of a teenager. I had no idea. I have a teenager. I had no idea. My husband works in finance. He probably knows this, but I did not know that. That is so interesting. Yeah. They just have to be paying taxes. So they can't be babysitting under the table. It has to be. Ah, gotcha. They have to be in the system. Yes. Yes. So what a Roth IRA is, is it is an individual retirement account that anybody can invest in. And you are investing with your money that someone, you or your spouse, has already paid income tax on. And so you've already paid taxes on it. When you invest that money, you don't have to pay more taxes. And you also don't have to pay taxes on any interest that you earn. So if you put in money when you're 25 and you take it out when you're 65, you've been earning interest for 40 years and you don't have to pay a single penny in taxes. It's amazing. Awesome. It's such a good tool. It's the best deal that exists. And you and your partner can both have a Roth IRA, whether or not you're both working, you can both have Roth IRAs. You can double your investment. Yeah. And you can always access the capital that you put in. And you can also use a Roth IRA 
for some very specific expenditures, including education, healthcare, if you're buying your first home, or if you have a sudden disability. So it's like a secret savings account that helps you save for retirement that you're earning amazing interest on. Yeah. That you're not paying taxes on. It's the best. It's the best tool that exists. That is so helpful and so good to know because, of course, there's always going to be a lot of single income families and the person who is not bringing income could feel like totally at a loss for how to contribute towards, it wouldn't even have to be retirement, but what are those big things to put money back for? So this is so super helpful to know. So Roth IRA, get into it, people. (laughs) It's really good. And if you're worried about how to open it or how to start investing, there's a whole chapter about it in the book. That's right. That's right. Okay. We're running low on time, but we have two more quick questions that I want to get to because I think these are things that people can relate to in a lot of ways. This next one is from Superstar Katie, who said, how do you get over the guilt of spending money when you're in a better financial place after you've been in a very lean, tight budget time? So she said she's not even talking about excessive, frivolous spending, nothing wild or crazy, just little everyday things that you can actually afford now, but you have that guilt after living on a strict budget so long, you have that guilt about actually, you know, spending a little bit more than you had been. So what advice would you have for Katie? Oh, I understand this one so much because I was so poor for so long that it was really hard for me to start spending money. And this is where a budget is freeing. Yeah. And most people don't think that, but it really is permission to spend money that you've already decided that you can afford it. So it gives yourself permission to spend money in that category on that thing, because you already know that you can afford it and you already know you're taking care of your other responsibilities. I love that. Really, when we think budget, we think, oh, budget's going to be such a killjoy. It's going to tell me what I can't do. But I love looking at it the other way of like, no, you know what? I put an extra $30 in my pedicure account this month. So, you know, just like whatever the thing is, it does give you that permission because look, the money is there and I already decided this is what it's going to. (laughs) Exactly. It's freeing. It's the opposite of what people think a budget is, but a budget is freeing you to say yes. You know, something that I personally am learning this year, and I'm a little bit embarrassed, but again, it's something we just don't talk about. I am learning now that a lot of my own money stresses simply came down to a lack of tracking and just kind of being like, oh, just, you know, this will get covered by this and it'll all be fine. I'm finding, I used to not check a budget tracker very often because I would feel these, you know, kind of anxious feelings about tracking where money was going. I'm finding now, the more often I check it and the more I keep on top of it, it is actually liberating because it's one less thing that I'm not worrying about. I'm up to date on where everything in our budget is and what our money is going towards. And that tracking, it seems counterintuitive, but it's actually really helpful and kind of calms the money anxiety. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So good. Okay. Last question comes from Jennifer, and she's asking something that I think probably a lot of people kind of wonder. When is it time to, if you want to work with a professional, if you want to find some kind of financial advisor type person, what should you be looking for? Are there red flags to avoid? 
what should you be looking for? What should you avoid if you're thinking, you know, maybe this is the time where I need some outside assistance or something to manage some of this stuff for me. So I would love to hear your thoughts because again, I know this is a question that lots of people kind of kick around like, do I need help? Do I not? I don't know. What should I do? (laughs) Sure. So I, I actually feel very strongly that most people don't need a financial planner. Okay. You can do the majority of it yourself. You can invest yourself. What I recommend that people invest in are index funds are already diversified. So you're evening out your risk across a wide range of investments. And an index fund is set to track how the market does. So it's trying to perform the way the average of the market is performing. Okay. If you pay someone to manage your finances, maybe they'll do above average, maybe they'll do below average, but on average, they will do average, Mm -hmm. which is (laughs) what you get with an index fund and you didn't pay anyone. Right. Yes. So it's already diversified. You don't have to pick stocks. It's actually more diversified than an individual could do manually. And it doesn't have to be complicated and you can just put it in there and forget about it. Yeah. And that's fine. And that's what really smart, capable investment professionals recommend. This is a real thing that real people recommend. I'm not just saying, oh, don't worry about it. Really, index funds are easy. You can put your money into one index fund and then walk away for 40 years and be fine. So good to know. So helpful. These are the kinds of like concrete answers that all of us are looking for. So this has been so helpful. All of this, I mean, seriously, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to think through and work through some of these questions for our awesomes. I know everybody who's listening right now, I'm sure all of us have learned something that we could walk away with and be like, now I know what I'm going to do about at least about this thing in my life. So good to know. Again, I'm going to put a link to 20s in your pocket, the book in our show notes, but where else can we find you and connect with you on social media to talk more about this thing that you're so passionate about? And that's personal finance. Yes. And I actually love answering questions. So feel free to reach out. I have a Facebook page, 20s in your pocket. Again, 20s is spelled out as a word. I have an Instagram account where I try to post tips, little tricks and tips to help your financial life go more smoothly. I have a Twitter account, which is 20s in your one, the number one. I'm not great at Twitter, but (laughs) me neither. And I do have a blog, which is www.20sinyourpocket.com. Okay. Some of my writing that's outside of the book. That's where you can find me. Awesome. I mean, seriously, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't believe it's taken us so long to talk about money on this show. But now I'm in retrospect, I'm like, we just needed to wait for just the right time for Kate to come to the show and help us. I was so, so honored to be invited. Thank you. Oh, good. Well, you all know you can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show over on Twitter if you're one of those Twitter type people at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. 
Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.